Mark chapter 2, and I was thinking about just uh, doing a Mother's Day message. I think we kind of alternate every other year. But um, the Lord has me here, and I want to continue to journey through Mark. And today we're going to cover verses 18 through 22. And let's begin reading in verse 18 where it says, The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. And then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. We begin, first of all, with something that's so important, you guys. Um, I don't know if you re realize this or not. Fasting. Fasting is very important, you know. Um, I was even thinking, if I could just begin by saying, you know, moms, uh, I, I want to share a message, obviously, that would be relevant to you as well. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if I could think of anything that would be more powerful in your life than fasting. Fasting for your children. You know, I mean, we got to live the life and we got to speak the words. But man, when it comes to our kids, we're wrestling with demons. Now, they're not demons, okay? I don't want you to say, unless they're two years old, maybe, but no, I'm just joking. You know, we're wrestling with demons. Demons are the ones that are lying to your kids. Demons are the ones that are oppressing them, sometimes even possessing them. Let me tell you something, man. There is no human wisdom that can set your children free from the grips of the devil. So uh, fasting is, is uh, very applicable to us, right? And so, not only moms, but dads, I mean, we're living in a world where I think that as a society, we need to be fasting. I mean, we are debating whether or not we should allow men in women's bathrooms. Our little girls are in the bathrooms, and we're saying, well, if this guy feels like a girl today, that he can go into that same bathroom. I mean, can you see how blind we are, how the Bible says that there would be a day, it says in Isaiah 5.20, where they would call evil good and good evil. And so we're the ones who are saying, no, the boys, that's the boys' room, and, and that's the girls' room, and, you know, this is what marriage is between a man and woman, just like the Bible says in the book of Genesis, and, you know, we're, we're fighting for morality. You know, there's a separation of church and state thing that, for whatever reason, people are really confused over. No, it's the government. When our founding fathers uh, you know, gave that phrase, um, it, it was basically the government saying, we will not interfere with the, with the, with the religious freedom. We will, we will allow them to exercise their religious liberty. That's the way the government's involvement was. And our involvement as a church was always to be a moral guardian. Always. So that's why Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 17, when he went to the king, 
he declared war because it's the church's responsibility to guard morality. And so, you know, you guys, things are changing rapidly. I don't know what's down the road, you know, but we're ready, huh? You guys ready to, to go to jail for Jesus if you have to? If they tell you no, I don't want you telling me about, you know, Jesus, or I don't want you to say that that's sin when the Bible says it is. I mean, we'll stand our ground. But... But what I'm trying to say is that, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And that's why if you're not fasting, then you are not really tapping into the power that God wants to provide for you, that will rescue your children, that will rescue our nation. Because when we're fasting, you want to know what happens? Is we're seeking the Lord with all of our hearts, you know, because we like to eat, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I love to eat. I can have, I mean, round table. I always think about round table for whatever reason. In and out, I mean, yesterday, a couple of uh, servings of lasagna, special occasion, you know. And, you know, we're pretty faithful at feeding ourselves, aren't we? But when, when you fast, what you do is you deny your flesh, And what you do is you seek the Lord. Instead of having lunch that day, you say no to yourself, and you go and you spend time that half an hour, whatever it was, that hour, you spend it with God. So instead of feeding the flesh, you're feeding the spirit. You're saying no to yourself, which a lot of times is very difficult to do. We say yes to ourselves. We have a hard time saying no to what we want. But what fasting does is you learn to deny yourself and take up your cross and you seek the Lord. And then what ends up happening is your spiritual senses, they become stronger. And God leads you and God hears your cry because he knows you're serious about what you're asking. And so we start today with fasting But at the same time, let me just say this, that it can't just be done, you know, flippantly. It can't just be done like a routine. It's got to be spirit-led. And it must be done the right way and for the right reasons, okay? And so, you know, we're going to see that. It's kind of interesting today what ends up happening in, in verse 18, that the disciples of John and of the Pharisees, they were fasting and so they, they came to Jesus, and they're like, what's up? Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast? But why, why do your disciples not fast? Now, more than likely, this right here was a question that was taking place when Jesus was feasting. So Jesus is feasting, and they're fasting. Remember back in Luke 5.29, we read that uh, Matthew had given Jesus a party and there was a great feast going on in, in his house. And so, you know, it's interesting that while Jesus is feasting, they're fasting, interesting context. And at the same time, it's also a time in which we see that according to the scriptures, these religious leaders are really struggling with the fact that Jesus is hanging out with sinners. You know, and so they come, and we're going to see at the end of the day, it wasn't really just about fasting. They got a problem with Jesus. So we're going to see this whole section right here. They're challenging him, and they're challenging Jesus. And so they ask him about fasting, and the real reason is because they don't really want anything to do with Jesus. You know, something that's interesting, verse 18, notice here the disciples of John and of the Pharisees. 
So for those of you who know your Bibles a little bit, you know that that's a trip that those two camps would come together. The disciples of John the Baptist are hanging out with the disciples of the Pharisees. Time out. The Pharisees hated John the Baptist. They didn't acknowledge him as a prophet. You know, John struggled with them. He called them hypocrites. So why is it now that the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees are on the same team? And what ends up happening a lot of times is that friendships are formed when they find a common enemy. Let me tell you something. If you get a friend because you find a common enemy, you better be really careful, especially when that enemy, what they see here, is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know? I know it's hard to hear, but these guys saw Jesus as an enemy. So anyways, you know, hey, there we're fasting, and you guys are fasting. Jesus is over there grubbing. And so, you know, they, they come and they, they ask the question. So is fasting bad? Fasting good? Fasting is good if you do it at the right time and for the right reason. Now, according to the scriptures, Luke 18, 12, the Pharisees fasted twice a week. They fasted twice a week, but they were headed to hell. So don't think that just because you do some religious observance that you're going to heaven. They fasted twice a week. It wasn't impressive to God. The reason is, Jesus identifies in Matthew 6.16, that the only reason they did it was to look good in front of other people. Jesus said that they did it to be seen by men, so that people can say, look, they're fasting. Wow, look at how holy they are. You guys, whatever you do, man, don't ever get caught up in some type of show where you think you got to make yourself look good in front of other people. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible place to be. The question is, how are you in the sight of God? What's going on in your mind? What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your house? What's going on in the dark places where no one else sees except for God? See, you want to be real there. These guys are all just caught up as long as I can make everybody think you know, that I'm good and as, all, as long as I can make it look good, then... And some people, that's, that's what it's all about. Jesus sees right through all that stuff. And so for them, fasting wasn't a good thing, right? But they did it nonetheless. And they challenged Jesus, though. And they come and they say, hey, man, why is it that we fast and your disciples don't fast? And so Jesus answers them in verse 19. He says, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. See, fasting's good. Question, though, is it the Lord leading you? Question, do you just fast to fast? Or is it God's timing? You know, for these guys right here, they weren't in tune with the Lord whatsoever. They had no clue. They had no personal relationship with God, where God would lead them. They didn't have that. Right now, it wasn't time for the disciples of Jesus to fast, man. Jesus right here says it was like time for celebration right now, not mourning. Imagine going to a wedding. And, you know, of course we go to a wedding and we like to see all the beauty of it. But, you know, part of it is because we want to grub, right? You know, you go to a wedding, you're like, man, I wonder what kind of food they're going to have. Because, you know, weddings are nice and they're supposed to have a good dish, right? And so imagine going to a wedding and there's no food. 
You know, they make that announcement just to let you know we're all fasting today. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't you think that'd be weird, you know? Jesus essentially says in Matthew 9.15, it's not a funeral, it's a wedding. It's time for feasting, not fasting. And, and what the Lord says here is so cool. Again, look at verse 19. Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? See, it, it, was, a, it was an issue of celebration, and it was an issue of identification. I know you hate me, Jesus is saying to them. I know you challenge me and you come against my authority. But do you know who I am? I'm the bridegroom. The church is the bride. I'm the bridegroom. It's interesting because um, the scriptures tell us that it was the disciples of John who actually came and asked the question. And John the Baptist was the one who undoubtedly would have taught them this very truth. In John chapter 3, verse 29, when they were asking John about why is it that everyone's going to Jesus, this is what he said. He said, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. See, I mean, John would have taught them that Jesus is the bridegroom. So here's a question. Here's a big question. Why are they identifying themselves as the disciples of John? Why? Why are they called the disciples of John? John's in prison. God allowed that to happen because they're not supposed to follow John anymore. Why are they identifying themselves as the disciples of the Pharisees? Let me ask you a question. You guys know this. They're supposed to be disciples of who? Jesus. You guys are disciples of who? Jesus. You are disciples of Jesus Christ. You are followers of Jesus Christ. You are not followers of a man. You are not followers of a human being. You are followers of Jesus Christ. Once we can settle that, I tell you what, everything else, it falls into place. Seriously, are you following him? Do you pray? Do you have a relationship with him? Does he lead you? Last week we saw that, that call. He just said, follow me. Real simple. Follow me. That's all you got to do. Follow me. We're disciples of Jesus Christ, not John the Baptist or the Pharisees. And you have to really settle that in your heart. You know, so what their problem was is they were following men. And Jesus says, well, follow me. Basically he's saying, I'm the bridegroom. I'm... I'm like the Messiah. I'm the Savior of the world. I'm the one who can set you free. You know, when you look at Christ, and it's interesting how he identifies the church in the scriptures as the bride. You know, Paul, uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, he said, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You know, according to the scriptures, there's going to be a wedding one day, and uh, we're the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom. It's an awesome truth in the Bible here. It's not just symbolic. This is a theological truth. He is the bridegroom, right? And you read that in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. 
You read it in Matthew 25. Jesus gives that amazing teaching. You know, real quick, just as a side note, the church has a few titles that really reveal our, our responsibility. Number one, the church is a building. And not, I don't mean like physically. I mean, you know, in, in the invisible realm. But in the building, the emphasis is on residency. God lives in the building. God lives in the church. Number two, the church is a body. And as a result of that, the emphasis is on unity. We should be one. We should be united, not divided. And, and then the third thing is the church is a bride. And so emphasis is on you know, residency and then unity. But then the last one, as a bride, purity. Purity. That's why Paul said, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so we need to have that heart as Jesus here is teaching about who he is and then we discover who we are and we stay pure to him. You guys, I want to encourage you in that, man, that when you, you know, walk down that wedding aisle, so to speak, that you're wearing white as Jesus washes away our sins. In response to their question about fasting, Jesus tells these guys, bottom line is right now, it's not the time. Right now it's time for celebration due to the identification of who I am, right? That's what he tells them then. But look what he says in verse 20. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. And so Jesus here makes a couple of predictions. Number one he predicts that he will be taken away from them. You know, that, that they won't live and die together. Sometimes my wife and I, we just kind of mess around, and I'll tell her, yeah, Jesus, take me first. He loves me more. And, and then, you know, I don't know if couples all talk about that, you know. Oh, I think I'm going to go first. No, I'm going to go first. No, let's get raptured together. Okay, that sounds like a good plan, you know. But Jesus here is saying, we will not live and die together. I'm going to go first. That's basically what he says. And we know that's true. He would then die, rise, and ascend into heaven. He spoke of this truth often. For example, in John 7, 33, Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. I mean, he talked about the fact that he'd be taken away. John 12, verse 8, For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. And sure enough, you guys know what happened. They nailed him to a cross. They put him in a tomb. He rose again. And then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven, right? And so we read in Acts 1.9, And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And so Jesus teaches them in advance that he would be taken away from them. But he also tells them that the days would come when they would fast. And that's where we are today, you guys. Jesus isn't here physically. And so the days will come now for us to fast. And we see it in the book of Acts. We see it throughout church history. And what a difference it's made. Uh, for example, in Acts chapter 13, in verse 2 and 3, it says that they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I've called them. And then having fasted, there it is again, and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. That's a real powerful verse. 
because that was fairly early on in the church, three things happened. Number one, they fasted as a group. It wasn't just one guy. It was a group of people, a church fasting. And so if I could just share this with you guys today, and I don't know if you're probably going to think I'm weird, but you already do, so it's okay. Has the Lord been laying it on your heart to fast? I've been talking to more and more people in the congregation, and they've been telling me, you know, not just the fact that it's a spiritual discipline, you know, that's a generic commandment, but they've been sensing it. God's calling me to fast. You know, I feel the same way. I believe the same thing. I, I want God to work, and I want to seek Him, and, and I just really think that He is calling us to fast. And so that's what they were doing. It was a group of them. Number two, what happened as a result of that, that the Holy Spirit spoke. The Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I called them to do. It's like they, when there was a fasting, there was like the moving of the Holy Spirit. There was a sensitivity to his voice. And, and you know, God began to really direct them even more than they had already been directed. Not only was it a group fasting, not only was it the Holy Spirit then moving, but then, number three, they would be used by him to change the world. It was then, you guys know, if you study your Bible, it was the first missionary journey. They would go out, and second missionary journey, third missionary journey. This is the Great Commission. This is what made disciples of all the nations it all began with a group of people fasting and just being led by the Lord, the Holy Spirit speaking and directing, and then them going and people getting saved. You guys, how many people do you know that need to get saved? How many people do you know that are out there struggling in drugs and alcohol and pornography and crystal meth and atheism and the riches of the world and all the distractions and they don't go to church, they don't read their Bible, they don't care about God, they don't even... You know, they're on their way to hell. How many people are out there? Do you care? Don't you want to make a difference? Well, I can't. I know we can't. But God can. So what's he doing? He's looking for people who are willing to take up their cross and, and deny themselves so that the world would be saved. That, that's what happens when we... We catch that vision, and I don't have lunch. A couple of days, I don't eat maybe lunch and breakfast. A couple of days, next thing you know, it's a whole day. Again, it's got to be something God leads you in, but it's a spiritual reality in the church. It's a discipline that disciples do. You know, later on, you read through the book of Acts, and chapter 14, verse 23, they, they fasted in 1 Corinthians 7, Five, Paul said he was fasting and praying. And 2 Corinthians 6, 5, Paul mentions fasting as being a very vital part of the ministry. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, he said, I fasted often. So sometimes I talk to people and they're like, man, I would like to be used by the Lord like Paul. Well, would you be willing to fast like Paul? As the Lord leads you. You see, at the end of the day, Jesus didn't oppose fasting. He taught us that fasting, however, must be at the right time and for the right reason. He wasn't against it. And so we can't neglect it because Jesus expects it. If you read Matthew 6, 16 through 18, 
He didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. This is how you do it. You know, you just put your cologne on and don't let everybody know that you're fasting. Don't like suck in your cheeks so people would think, you know, no, you just go and you do it, man. And you seek the Lord and you watch what happens. Matthew 17, 21. You might want to write that one down. This kind, they couldn't cast out this demon. He said, this kind doesn't come out except through prayer and fasting. Maybe there's someone you know that they got a demon uh, that's oppressing them or possessing them. Maybe you are here today and a demon's oppressing you. And it's time, you know, hey, pray for me. It's time for us to fast. See, it's important for us to know the issue of fasting. And then secondly, I already touched on it already, but we got to settle the issue of, of following. Like, who are we going to follow? And believe it or not, that's what Jesus deals with next in verse 21. He said, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Again, like I was sharing with you guys, man, and you know, I go back and forth. Now, thank you for praying for me, that God would help me. But, man, I was like, man, should I do a Mother's Day message? And, you know, that's so important. We do have some Mother Day, Mother's Day messages online. And so if you want to hear one, you can go and search our website. But, um, you know, these are, this is, at the end of the day, what makes a, a really good mom is, is just that she would love Jesus. That she would be fasting as God would lead her and she would have a healthy relationship with God. That's the best thing she can do for her kids. And then, and then truly following the Lord, you know, and that's what Jesus deals with next. Um, what we find is Jesus begins in verse 21 and he, and he starts talking about clothes. And you're like, why is Jesus talking about clothes? You know, he, I think he just got distracted, man. <laughs> you know, why is he talking about some old garment that has a hole in it? And he's telling me, well, whatever you do, don't try to patch up that old garment with some new material that hasn't been shrunk yet. Because when you do wash it, that new piece is going to shrink and it's going to ruin everything. Why would he start talking about clothes? It's because the Lord is now, he's dealing with the heart. I mean, these guys, they come up with whatever it is, their issues, their questions, their complaints. I see it too sometimes, you know? And it's like, you know, and yeah, you know, you deal with the issue, but I know, and, and you know, of course, the Lord knows more so that something is wrong with their heart. Jesus knew that more than anyone. Like, for example, when Nicodemus came in John chapter 3, and he starts saying, hey, you know what, no one can do these miracles unless God is with him. And Jesus just told him straight out, you need to get saved. You know, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I don't get, you know, I struggle. I don't understand what he says, and I got this going on, and you can't even understand what I'm saying right now. Want to know why? Because you need to get saved. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. He died for you on a cross. He loves you. And so what you got to do is you got to take that step of faith. 
you know, and you got to say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And I know one day I'm going to die and I'm going to stand before you and I'm not good enough to go in on my own righteousness. Jesus, I need your blood. I need you, Jesus. I need you in my life. You know, the Lord just, he deals with the heart of the matter because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And he says, well, let me speak a parable. In Luke 5.36, he actually called this a parable. A parable is kind of like an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so they would understand the, the parable of the clothes, right? They, they all kind of knew what, what that was. And, and so what he's basically saying, and he's going to say it again in verse 22 using a different illustration, is that, you know, that it's time to get rid of of the old. It's time for something new. It's time for the new covenant. You don't try to mix them up. You don't try to patch it up. You don't try to blend the two. You don't go back to the Old Testament law. You don't stick to the traditions of men when they contradict the written word of God. You don't try to patch it up and put them together. No. Jesus said, I will provide for you something way better. I mean, I don't know how you guys are, and maybe, you know, you like old clothes. I wonder if there's anyone here, you got clothes, and they have holes in them, and you're like, but sweetheart, don't throw them away, you know, don't give them to goodwill, and, you know, it's all faded out sometimes. <laughs> oh, I you know, they got holes in the wrong places, if you know what I'm talking about, and, you know, and... It's like, just get rid of it. It doesn't keep you warm. It doesn't cover you. It's all faded. I got something way big. That's what the Lord is trying to say. And, and, and then he talks about the wine in verse 22. No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. And the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But he says new wine must be put into new wineskins. You know, you would never take old, brittle wineskins and put unfermented grape juice in there because then the gases of that unfermented grape juice, as it begins to ferment, would actually destroy the wineskins and the wine. And then the other scriptures tell us that everything would be ruined. And so, you know, what, what's he saying, Manny? Again, notice the common denominator in both, the new and the old, the new and the old. And what is he saying is that these guys, these disciples of John, they were sticking to that old, and the disciples of the Pharisees, they were clinging to the old. And whether it be the Old Testament law or the traditions that they had, and they said, Jesus, my problem with you is you're not functioning within my box. And so, you know, the Lord says, you, got, you guys, you need the new wine. Not only do you need the new wine, but you need to become new wineskins. And this is what happens, okay? This is what happens. Um, number one, I think primarily what he's speaking of here is the new covenant. Remember what Jesus said? This is the blood of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31. It prophesied about the new covenant. Primarily, that's what he's talking about, Okay? But in, in a secondary sense, he's also talking about these guys. Your problem is, is you're an old wineskin. And you can't handle this. You know what you need? You need to be renewed. You need to be renewed. Because I'm doing a new work here. You know, and sometimes that happens. So that's kind of how Calvary Chapel was born. Believe it or not, that's how it was born. Because God wanted to do a new work. 
He wanted to do a new work because he loved the hippies. And he loved those that people weren't reaching out to, the lost, the whosoevers. He loved them. But the, the church of the day, they were caught up in their own thing and they didn't reach out to them. They couldn't in any way relate to them or go to them. And so the Lord had to find new wineskins. I can't use you anymore because you're so locked into your traditions. And so he found a, a group of people that were open to letting hippies come in. And they would come into the church in those days, they, they, they were barefoot. And so they'd come in. How would you feel if people came in here barefoot, just out of curiosity? You know, and you'd be worried about the carpet, right? And you're like, I don't know, let me take a look at their feet. Are they clean? And maybe you start smelling something. I don't know, you know. But, and so then the, well, people are more concerned with the carpet than with the kids. That happens more concerned with their, their traditions and the way that they always, well, we would never use guitar. I mean, everybody knows that you got to use organs when you do worship, right? Or, I mean, drums, rap, oh, no way, no way. I mean, now you cross the line. No, but at the end of the day, what's the most important thing about this whole music ministry is worship. As long as it remains worship, that's all that matters. And when I listen to a Christian rap song, I tell you what, man, I start rapping, man. I mean, it's just, <laughs> the message is so beautiful, beautiful, deep. You see, and remember this maxim, you know, methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. You keep teaching the word and you keep worshiping. And you don't like, you know, do a sinful outreach, so to speak. No, you stay pure. You love the Lord. But if you got to, you know, use drums or guitars, then go for it. Or rap music or some of the other music. I don't like some of the other music, but man, the kids, somehow they understand the words. I'm like, well, if... As long as it's a good message, really. Because remember the days when they would go to church and everybody had to wear a tie? You have to wear a tie. Hey, man, you got to look your best for the Lord. Well, the Bible says, my Bible says, that God doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside. How's your heart? Oh, look at him, man. He came in with t-shirts, uh, shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops. Can you believe that? And God just says, man, he's, he's so, I love this guy. He loves me. You know, when you want to know, and it's interesting, and I'll just kind of do this and then we'll get into our communion, but the wine, the wine. You know, some people, they, they oh, that's a lie. I like that verse. I think I can go get drunk right now, man, because Jesus, you know, he's gotten the new wine and the new wineskins. And doesn't that just like, isn't that like nauseating that people would actually go there? Why in the world would you drink? Why? Do you need it to have a good time? Why would you drink? I mean, do you need it to settle down? No way. It doesn't belong in the church. If my son saw me drink, you know, I might say, well, I can handle it. I can have a beer. You want to know something? He might not be able to, and I will make him stumble. 
My father was an alcoholic. I know what it does to people. So just as a real quick side note, whatever you do, don't do that. Because let me tell you something. The wine, it's not about a bar. It's about the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sins. It's new wine. No longer the blood of animals that could only cover in a temporary you know, basis. It was just a kofar. No, now it's the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. And so what do we need? We need to come into this new covenant, man. We need to come in and ask him, maybe you're here today and you need to be renewed like a new wineskin. I believe the Lord can do that in our lives, man. But it all begins, what, with that relationship with him. And so, you guys, uh, prayerfully, the Holy Spirit will take his word and he'll lead you in fasting. And he'll lead you in following him. He'll lead you and make sure that your heart is right, that you're not caught up in this box of your man-made traditions or the Old Testament law. I can't believe there are some Christians today, they'll go and they say, oh, you shouldn't eat pork. What? Dude, I'm going to get me some sausage just for that, you know? I mean, give me a break. If you're telling me that I shouldn't eat pork because of health reasons, that's fine. But whatever you do, do not say that that makes you holy. That's the Old Testament. See? You guys, we've got to come into the new covenant. And I'm just so blessed. Aren't you guys blessed? Covered with the blood of Jesus. Oh, man, thank you, Lord. Let's celebrate that today. Let's celebrate that today. Whatever you do, don't leave this study today and tell your mom, sorry, mom, I'm, I'm fasting today. <laughs> no, you take her out to the best restaurant and you feast. And then tomorrow, we'll see what happens.